going to turn back a little bit today to 50 AD. The church had just been born. Paul, the apostle, he was uh, spreading the gospel story of Jesus throughout Asia Minor. And he'd been in places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And then he'd come to Athens. And he had been invited by the Supreme Council of Athens to go and speak to them on a bit of outcropping below the Acropolis called Mars Hill. And so when he arrived there to share with this group of leaders and probably what was most, the most intellectually and philosophically sophisticated city on the planet, at that time, he had the opportunity to get on the mic. And when Paul got the opportunity among this leading council of Athens to be on the mic, Paul did something miraculous when they gave him the floor. He preached about a minute and 46 seconds a minute, 40 second sermon. And so I say miraculous because that's miraculous for a preacher man, right? And, and so you can laugh or amen, whichever you want to do. But isn't that incredible? He, he preaches this concise and to the point message that is so powerful. And so I want to read it to you. And if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word with us uh, this morning. And I'm going to read it to you. He says, as I walked through your city, I was captivated by the many shrines and objects of your worship. I even found an inscription on one altar that read to the unknown God. I have come to introduce you to this God whom you worship without even knowing anything about him. The true God is the creator of all things. He is the owner and Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, and he doesn't live in man-made temples. He supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that me, we, me mortals, could, apply, could supply for him. For he has all things and everything he needs. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity, and he spread us all over the earth. He sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. He has done this so that every person would long for God and feel their way to him and find him, for he is the God who is easy to discover. It is through him that we live and function and we have our identity. Just as your own poets have said, our lineage comes from him. Since our lineage can be traced back to God, how could we even think that the divine image could be compared to something made of gold, silver, or stone sculpted by man's artwork or clever imagination? In the past, God tolerated our ignorance of these things, but now the time of deception has passed away. He commands us all to repent and turn to him for the appointed day has risen in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has designated and the proof given to the world that God has chosen this man is this. He resurrected him from among the dead. Amen? Amen. So in this sermon... Possibly the most excellent sermon of all time was preached by Paul into the backdrop of Athens where so much of what we talked about the last few weeks was on the mic. And Paul preached this phenomenal gospel story. It's short and concise and to the point, but encapsulated everything that we're celebrating today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your word to us this day. Let it be a rhema word that speaks a right now word right to our spirit. God, we thank you. And uh, we give you all of our attention. In your name we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated, thank you. So, the message, this message that Paul preached was in the midst of an environment where 
for sure opinion was on the mic. We, we talked about that one last week. And it, and it says a few verses above, if you'll notice in verse 21, that all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there, they spent their time talking and listening, uh, you know, all about the, the, the latest ideas, the latest philosophies, the latest thinking. So there's a climate of, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, what do you think, right? And so we know opinion was on the mic, but we also know that fear was on the mic. We talked about that the first week. How do we know this? Because Paul says, when I came into your town, I saw all these idols, but then I saw this idol with this inscription to an unknown God. So these guys were concerned about covering their bases and making sure that if there was a God that they didn't know about, they wanted to make sure that it was appeased as well. And so they just had this kind of catch-all idol to this unknown God. So fear somehow had gotten on the mic too. But the main thing that is on the mic in Athens is what's still on the mic in many places today. And that is when Paul stood up to speak, he stood up to talk into an atmosphere. I would call it an ocean, if you will, of religion. He says, when he comes into the story, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was deeply troubled when he realized that the entire city was full of idols. And so when he starts his message, he says, I see that. In every way, you are very religious, extravagant in your worship to idols. In other words, in Athens, religion was very much on the mic. These people had idols for days. They had every God that they ever knew about represented. And what they were showing was that there was this insatiable hunger within them to discover and acknowledge and worship something more significant and more powerful that was outside of them. And what they were doing was affirming what we all know, and that is that the ocean tide of religion has swept onto every shore among all men and women everywhere on planet Earth. And in their situation, the mixture of opinion and fear and religion created this vortex that took everybody down. And, and it's like, I don't know, I'm looking for the right God, but there's so many different options and so many different gods and so many different ways to go and so many different people that are on the mic and we're not even sure if we've got all of our bases covered yet. That's the atmosphere that he's speaking into. So imagine just being in that climate. And then Paul arrives with this clarion message of the story of Jesus. And I want you to know, just a minor footnote here, So we're talking about 50 AD, almost 2,000 years ago. Athens and Roman were cities, uh, you know, of power. And they were filled with religion. And if you dial it back another 2,000 years from there, you're going to discover that those cities were filled with religion. And if you dial it back another from there, you're going to find out that those cities were filled with religion. So when somebody tells you that, you know, hey, religion is just a modern invention of man to try to control people. No, religion has been around since day one. Do you know why? Why has religion been around since day one? Because God is the one. The message says it right here in scripture. We read, he supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. And he has done this so that every person would long for God and feel their way to him and find him for he is the God that is easy to discover. Therefore, there is a hunger 
inside all of us and a longing inside every one of us to discover something or someone greater than us. And there is a need in every one of us to give worship and honor to something greater and more powerful than every one of us. And that something is driving people today all around the world, everywhere you go on planet earth, religion is on the mic. And so I, th- I think back to being in Israel in the summer of 2007. I was there, I was sent as a, a, one of the co-youth pastors here at Destiny um, for a 14-day international four-score conference and tour of the, the Holy Land. And somewhere around, if you've ever been to Israel, you've seen this, somewhere around maybe five times a day while we're there, these bells would kind of ring out over this electronic kind of sound system over the city of Jerusalem. And no matter where you were, people would roll out mats and pray towards their holy places of worship. Muslim mosques and and temples. I mean, I I don't know all the specifics, but they were passionate about this. They would stop whatever they were doing. Uh, You know, at the least they were consistent. And so people would stop in the middle of the road. They would pull over. Uh, if they'd get off their motorcycle, if they're on that, get off the moped and bow down and pray to their God. And as I mentioned, I was a youth pastor at Destiny at the time. And, and some of the ones I saw bowing down were teenagers, young adults, young, just young people. And this was the generation that I was giving my life for and that I wanted to see rise and carry the name of Jesus to make him famous in their life. And I'm just envisioning these kids instead of bowing down and praying to Moss, living their lives for the King Kings. That's where my heart was. And so I saw this and it, we, we had the opportunity to look inside one of the, the famous temples of, of worship, one of the mosques in the city. And of course, there's a giant statue in the middle and people had been bringing offerings all day, fruit, bowls of rice, flowers, gifts to this idol. And in what I can only describe as, as, as a holy moment, I, I just saw and felt the heart of God just kind of burning for these people, young and old, that our movement, our movement, believers in Jesus believe can live for the fame of Jesus, right? And so it broke my heart. They've got religion on the mic. And if we think about it, the whole world does. And not just the ones we think about, the ones that are like atheism, which is uh, also really a religion that I'm good without God, right? But I've got my two or three idols, which are, you know, I'm good. I've got my fame. I've got my pleasure. I've got my riches. And that's where I'm putting my faith in. That's where I'm putting my hope and trust in. And I'm good. Or, you know, how about this? You know, I've got my pregame ritual and superstition. So, you know, somebody's got their lucky Kansas City chief socks on somewhere in America today and they haven't taken them off since, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Too long for it to be um, healthy, and uh, so, you know, and, and, and people believe in that they, because even, you know, we put our trust in things like that and they, they really do believe it's going to make a difference somewhere in the process. And somewhere along the way, we've all got sucked into this idea that I can do enough to get into a position of favor with God. Religion, whichever one you pick or choose shares some joint tenets with other religions, and they're these. We're gonna write these down really quick if you're taking notes, so get ready. Number one, the ultimate goal is right standing with God. You can put whatever words you want around it, but what I think was going on in the hearts of those young people, 
that I was watching in Jerusalem was that they wanted peace with God. They, maybe they wanted blessings from God, but at the top of the list in any system is I wanna be right with God. I wanna right standing with him. I wanna know that if there is a higher power or if there is a God or if there is something out there that we're good. And so secondly, every religion is predicated on the good works of man. And that's not to say that that's all bad because even if your system is the wrong system, wanting to be kinder or more generous or a better parent or a better neighbor, you know, can have a benefit, but not if those good works are working towards the goal of giving you right standing with God. Third, every religion shares this reality that it has a system based on the teachings of those who are dead. And that's gonna be a vital component for us in a moment. Number four, the eternal outcome of following this system is to be determined. It's yet to be determined. In other words, it's uncertain. I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but I'm working at it. I'm not sure if I've done enough, but I'm gonna do a little bit more. I'm uncertain as to where I am in the process, but I'm gonna keep on keeping on. And then number five, which is the natural result of number four, the motivation to observing this kind of system is uncertainty. In other words, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't, I don't know, so I'm gonna try a little more. I don't, I don't know if I've done enough, so I'm gonna do something else. But in the middle of religion being on the mic, Paul arrives at this uber-religious city of Athens and preaches this unique gospel-centric message. And the message was a story of Jesus. And so you, you would kind of think that we're gonna take a big right turn here and Jesus is gonna show up and he's gonna say, man, let's just chuck religion, you know, and let's, let's go a whole new way. But that, that's really not what Jesus does. Jesus understands that we do need right standing with God. And what Jesus wants for you more than anything is that you have a right standing with God. So Jesus is coming to planet earth, not just to be a good teacher and do some miracles or get a book written about him. Jesus came to planet earth solely so that he could give glory to God by providing for you and for me right standing with God. So he didn't come to just kind of chuck this idea that there's this holy and perfect God or even just, you know, give us a way to get to him. He did all that, and he, 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 but he came to do something even more impressive than all that. And we see this in the Sermon on the Mount, which, you know, I said Paul's was the greatest message of, of, of all time by man, but here's, here's the greatest message of all time, Jesus himself, the Sermon on, on the Mount, probably the most fantastic message ever given. I love the way that Jesus comes in here, and I love the way that he kind of just steps into the story and he opens this up for you and me. And in Matthew 5, verse 17, this is what he says. If you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet, you're mistaken. I have come to bring perfection to all that has been written. I, I just love that. I'm, I'm going to come to bring to perfection all that has been written. Another translation says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is not showing up and going, you know, oh, religion, yeah, let's get, it rid of, get it rid of religion, you know, getting right, standing with God, having some way to make things right with God. Let's just get rid of that. He said, no, I am coming to set aside the law and I'm coming to bring to perfection all that has been written. I'm gonna do something miraculous in this process. And then he comes down to the end of this paragraph and he says something that probably stopped us all in our tracks. You know, one of those verses that Bob was talking about this morning, like what in the world is going on here as you're reading the scripture? And he says, this is what he said, for I tell you, unless you live your lives, unless your lives are more pure and full of integrity than the religious scholars and the Pharisees, you will never enter heaven's kingdom. Excuse me? (laughs) So I I grew up in church my whole life and and I was around the gospel story my entire life. And I don't know if I fully, you know, really even got it until, you know, mid twenties and a verse like this comes crashing in, right? But But I think what Jesus is saying, he's looking at this crowd. Now, Remember the crowd here, he's picking out the most religious people, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the ones who've turned the 10 commandments into a a lot of commandments, right? The ones that have taken the 10 things that we couldn't do and he turned them into hundreds of things that no one could do, okay? He's talking to them. They've got this whole system and all of these rituals and all of the observances and he points at these guys and he says, hey, Unless you're more righteous than them, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. And a lot of the people in the crowd were like, are you kidding me? They won't even let me, you know, into the church building. They won't even walk on my side of the street. You're talking about, they they won't even recognize that I'm here. And you're saying they, they consider me an outcast and not worthy of being a part of what they're a part of. So how am I going to be more religious than them? That's kind of what's going through their minds as they hear this. And the dilemma kind of hangs in this tension of Jesus calling you and me up and saying, unless your righteousness is more righteous than the most righteous looking people here, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. But then he gives us this little insight and a clue. He says, I didn't come to wipe out the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to do away with what the prophets have said, but I came to fulfill what the prophets have said. So what is the gospel story? If we've seen what religion is, let's look at those same five things now through the gospel lens, the gospel meaning the good news, right? What is the good news? Number one, number one is the same. Our goal is the same as any religion. Our goal is right standing with God. And what we call that in scripture, what you see it as in scripture is the word righteousness. We want to get our righteousness to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. Somehow we've got to be more righteous than the most righteous acting people around. How do we get to that point? And what is righteousness to begin with? If we dig around in that word in the Greek, this is what we're going to get. Righteousness is the verdict of God that says you are deemed 100% right in the eyes of God. How are you going to get there? If right standing with God is righteousness, how do we get there? Let's keep going. Number two, this is where our paths start going different directions, okay? Our gospel is predicated on the good works of one man, Jesus Christ. 
religion is predicated on everybody's good works. Everybody's got to pitch in, right? Our gospel is predicated on the good works of one man, Jesus Christ. Number three, our gospel is based on the teaching of someone who's very much alive. This is what Paul said at the end of his message in Acts 17, and the proof given to the world that God has chosen this man is this, he resurrected him from the dead. So we have a living leader, a living teacher, a living savior, and someone with whom we can have a relationship. And so at this moment, right now, we can have a relationship with our God and our savior and our teacher. Number four, the eternal outcome of those who follow Jesus' teaching is secure. In other words, when you lean into the gospel story, you get certainty about your eternity. And that leads to number five, and that is then that the motivation to live out good works is both in our certainty and it's in our identity. In other words, I'm not gonna do all this stuff in hopes that it's gonna be enough. I'm gonna do all this good work because I'm already secure in Jesus and I love him. And because I have a brand new identity in him, so I'm gonna start living my life a different way. I have a new identity, so I'm gonna be a new person. And so how does this work? He shows us how it works in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, which is an anchor text for us and, and for the gospel story. Now listen, notice what it says. This is one of the most powerful things ever said about you in eternity. This is what it says. We've got to get our heart and our minds around this truth and somehow get it tattooed into our soul so that we can operate out of the reality of this truth right here. We know from the verses above, if any man is Christ, he is a new creation, right? So there's something powerful that's happening in this text, but we see kind of the fulcrum of this in verse 21. And this is what it says. For God made the only one who did not know sin that's Jesus. You get that from the verses above. So I'm just going to put his name in there. For God made Jesus to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through union with him. So God is entering into the story understanding that we couldn't do it in and of ourselves. And so he does what none of us can do. And we see this thread throughout scripture from beginning to end. Even back in Isaiah, there's this excellent verse <laughs> that got quoted over and over when some of you were growing up in church, probably. And we never knew maybe really how to put it in the whole scriptural context. But Isaiah 64 verse five asks the question, how then can we get saved, right? And it just talks about how God would show mercy and then, people would reject him. And then, you know, he, he would come through again and then people would re reject him, right? He would, he would show kindness and then people would reject him. And finally, the prophet just comes to the place and says, well, how can we be saved? Look at us, we're a mess. <laughs> and then he adds in verse six, this is the verse that we probably heard a thousand times growing up. For all of our righteous acts. If you know it, just say it along with me. All of our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. Huh. <laughs> now, sadly, that was the end of a lot of our theology many times. All of our righteousness is filthy, right? And, you know, it's true. What the prophet is saying is, look, we can't do this. We can't. And our efforts, any effort of ours 
to get right standing with God isn't going to be good enough because the standard is perfection. And we're not going to make it. But then you see in Isaiah 53 that there's hope. And that thread is woven all the way through the story. It says, all we, Isaiah said, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you see this woven through the books of the prophets into the story of the gospels of Jesus and throughout the New Testament, anchored in a text like what we just read, where it says, so we might become the righteousness of God. If it makes you nervous that it says might become, (laughs) I get it. That kind of sounds like religion again, doesn't it? But the word might here, I want you to know it does not imply uncertainty. It means a fundamental change. If you look the word up, because we don't want, I don't want this to be a stumbling block for anybody this morning saying, well, I'd, I don't know. It says I might become the righteousness of God and I'm not sure if I'm gonna become the righteousness of God. And so it doesn't feel like I'm getting that certainty that you're talking about. The word might here is the word ginomai. And this word in the Greek means a fundamental change in nature. In other words, if we read that scripture again, for God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we would have a fundamental change in us. meaning we are now the righteousness of God in Christ and have a right standing with God in Christ. The way you sum it up, it's really this simple. Religion, one word, do. What do you got to do? What do you got to do to get right standing with God? The way you sum up the gospel, one word, done. It's already done. You are either going to do more and hope that it's enough or realize that Jesus has already done it all. And it's already finished. And it's already done. And it's the difference between living life and running free or living life on the treadmill and hard work. I'm going to ask my friend Jim up here to, to show us, give us a picture of what hard work is all about. And I'm going to just step off over here to the stage and give you the platform, my friend. <laughs> How many of us have lived life on the treadmill of religion, hoping somehow that we're going to make it into the presence of God. Do, do, do you know anybody like that? Have you ever been there? You know, have you ever, you get in that mentality and you're like, I'm going to go somewhere because there's something inside of me that says I was made for something bigger than me. And we know it. He has done this so that every person would long for God and feel their way to him is what it says in the scripture. One, translance, one translation says to grope. It's like you're reaching for something in the dark. I know there's something here. And you're like trying to find it. We know that feeling, right? But then what Paul says is this, is that we find him for he is the God that is easy to discover. Do you know why? Because God is not far from you. (laughs) He's not. 
He's not far from you. So you don't have to have a two mile long arm to reach for him. It's not a striving. He is within reach. It says right here. He is not far from you because it is through him that we live and function and we have our identity. So that's everybody on the planet earth and everybody in this room right now. And what that means is there's probably something inside of you that says, I want to make sure that I do enough. And so I'm going to work harder. I'm going to keep going. But the trouble with religion is you don't even know, was it good enough? Did I do enough yet? Did I make up enough? (laughs) Am I even there yet? So we keep on working and we keep on working harder. But the, and so since we don't know, what do we do? We do the same thing you do when you're at the gym, right? You, you, you just find somebody else on the treadmill who's not doing as good as you. And you say, okay, God, you know, I was, if God does it count that I'm doing better than him. And, and if we're listening to religion on the mic, you know, what comes through is, no, the way that you get right standing with me is not by doing better than him. It's by being perfect. So you better crank up that treadmill and go faster and harder, right? You're like, okay, I'll work a little harder because I got to make sure when it's all said and done that I've done enough. And this is just like a seed bed. You know, if you want to say what it is, of self-righteousness. It's self-righteousness. Especially the part where you're looking over at the other person and going, oh, you're working that hard? Okay, well, I'm gonna work even harder. I, I wanna share this incredible story and I'll, I'll just take my time so he can work up a good sweat. Um, <laughs> it just makes me smile that I, I, I heard Louis Giglio um, share this story. He's the, the founder of the Passion Movement. They were in uh, Cape Town and they were on part of the Passion um, Movement's world tour. And uh, this is when he was younger and he had less gray hair and he was running and biking a lot. And so he had gone down to the fitness center at the hotel and he was on the bike, okay? He's on the bike, he's by himself there in the room and he'd already committed, I'm gonna ride this hard for a certain amount of time and then I'm gonna be done. (laughs) And he was about five minutes from being done from his bike ride when one of the guys on tour with them, one of the musicians, his name is George Mondera, he comes in. And Louis was, was the only one in there before. So George comes in and he's like, hey man, how you doing? You know, I'm great, how you doing? Good, I'm, I'm, gonna, get, I'm gonna do a little run. And so George gets on the treadmill right next to Louis and pumps it up to what looks like to Louis this insane speed. I mean, he's just going like this, he's just running and he takes off. George starts sprinting. And Louis's like, whoa, man. So what does he do? He cranks up the treadmill up a notch and he puts his head down and, and he starts turning it out. And you, you know that whine that comes from the treadmill when it gets up so fast, it goes to, that's what he was, that's what was happening on the treadmill. And so Louis looking, he's, I just passed my time, but I, I got to keep going. I'm not going to quit now. I don't want to look weak, right? So he goes about 10 minutes more and George is just running. And Louis is like, I'm not getting off this. He's saying it to himself. I'm not getting off this bike until he gets off of the treadmill, even if I have to fall off of it. And so this is a true story. 30 minutes plus go by. 
Louis is dying. <laughs> and finally, George gets off the treadmill and Louis's like, praise God, see you later. And as soon as the door shut, even before it shut, Louis's off the bike. And he's walking up to his room, if you can even call it that, he said, because I could barely walk. He could barely breathe. He can't sit down the next day. He was so much in pain from, from the overextending of his body. And Louis didn't say anything to George about it because he wanted to, him to think that he was a stud. <laughs> and even though George was half his age... He wanted him to believe that he just crushed him in that workout. So they never talked about it. Two years later, this is, this is what makes me smile. This is a true story. Two years later, they're sitting around somewhere in the world out on another part of the tour that they're doing, the Passion Tour. And Louis's like, hey, do you remember that time we were in Cape Town? <laughs> George said, yeah, man, you killed me on that thing. I'd come down to run one mile really quick. And I looked over and I said, that dude's old. I'm not getting off this treadmill until he gets off that bicycle. <laughs> and I got on it to run. And unfortunately, I started it too fast. And I didn't want to slow it down because that would look weak. And so I just kept on running at that speed. And I was just going to run one mile, but I ended up running five miles at that speed. And I said, I'm out of here. I can't take anymore. <laughs> and Louis said, bro, the second you stepped out that door, I fell on the floor. <laughs> That's what religion does to you. That's what religion does to you. you. To get really busy looking at other people, to get really busy looking for somebody that you're ahead of, and that's not hard to do in our world, is it? It's not hard to do. You get look, looking for somebody that you can say to God, I know I wasn't everything I was supposed to be, but at least I'm better off than him. But here's the thing. That's not what God requires. That's not righteousness, right? He said, your righteousness has got to exceed the most religious person in the crowd. So how are you gonna do that? And how are you gonna know it's enough? Because this thing is all about do. And that's why when Jesus entered this world alive through the virgin birth, sinless when he arrived at the cross, willing to exchange his innocent life for yours and then crushed under the ultimate blow of sin, which is death. When he got to that moment, he didn't say with his last breath, I hope I've done enough. He didn't say with his last breath, I hope it was good enough. He didn't say with his last breath, I tried my hardest and at least it's way better than these other two guys. No, when, when he got to the end, when he got to the end and he exchanged his life for yours, he made the most significant statement of all time. And what was that? He said, it is finished. <laughs> it's finished. It's done. You don't have to work. The treadmill is over. <laughs> Praise God. <right? laughs> and so the work and the striving is over. You see that? And what's interesting is that there is a benefit to getting on the treadmill, right? 
and doing some work, no doubt. You'll lose some weight. You'll get in shape. Your cardio will get better. You know, you're probably thinking more clearly. But interestingly, when you get off a treadmill, you're right where you started. And yeah, you did some work, but it give, did it give you the certainty of standing with God? Religion and works are a story of do, and Jesus has given you a story of done. It's anchored in our last text. It's found in Romans 3. And it's another text that we might have shortchanged a little bit in some of the circles that we grew up in, those of us who grew up in church. Because Paul gets at the heart of what we're saying and he makes it as straightforward as possible. Because your question should be today, if I can't get right standing with God on my own, but Jesus is coming to make right standing a possibility for me, how do I get that? How, do, how does that happen? Like, I want that, Sean. I'm right on the edge of my seat today saying I'm ready to get off the treadmill of religion. I'm ready to cash out of self-righteousness. And I'm ready to step into this certainty of knowing that I have a right standing with God. And from that point, I can go and live my life for him. And Paul answers that question and he wraps it all up beginning in verse 19. Bob, you can come on up. And this is what it says. Now we realize that everything the law says is addressed to those who are under its authority. This is for two reasons, so that every excuse will be silenced with no boasting of innocence and so that the entire world will be held accountable to God's standards. For by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. There's our word righteous. And now here comes the bad news. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. The 10 commandments, listen, were not your pathway to right standing with God. They, they were God helping you see that you couldn't even do that, right? So Paul goes on to shift into the good news, but now independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. There's our keyword, righteousness again. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of who Jesus is. Here's how we get it. Now all who believe on him will receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us for we have all sinned and we are all in need of the glory of God. And a lot of preachers probably parked that baby right there for so many years for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thanks for coming. God bless. That's not the end. Yes, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but there's a big yet in the story. The glorious yet that is in our story followed by these words are yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal. God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from guilt, punishment, and the power of sin. It did not come from earth to heaven, it came from heaven to earth. It was not man-centric, it was God-centric. It wasn't man's doing, it was 
God's doing. It wasn't man boasting and man's ability. It was God boasting about God's ability. Righteousness has arrived on the scene and it came from God apart from the treadmill, apart from the hard work, apart from all of our good works. And how do you get it? It's by Jesus' gift of love that the scriptures say cascades over us. When he said it is finished, it was done. And now because of his good work, I have right standing with God. How can we ever get over that? (laughs) So a few takeaways, we've been putting some at the end of all of these talks, just so some of us can have this Holy Spirit moment when we go to the refrigerator or a mirror or your desk or a page in your journal that you can just breathe in as we go throughout the week, a few takeaways from the day. If this is true, that you know, we've taken a step away from, from my righteousness, working itself out from, you know, I hope this is good enough, or kind of just getting sidetracked into I know God's gonna let me in because I, you know, I have a good heart. Or, you know, but if you've moved from self-righteousness to God righteousness, these things are true about you. Number one, when I couldn't do enough to save myself, Jesus did enough to save me. Amen. If, if one of these is for you, don't be afraid to just offer up a little amen, <laughs> right? Number two, I don't work for God's love, but I do good because I am already fully loved by him. Number three, spiritual habits can improve my quality of life. And please don't think today is about not reading your Bible, about not praying, about not fasting, about not working out your salvation, about not being you know, connected to the local church or not serving or not giving. It's not that message, but we've got to understand that spiritual habits or disciplines, whatever you want to call them, can improve our quality of life, but only our savior can satisfy our soul. Only Jesus. Number four, and this is mind blowing, saying it this morning, I am a friend of God. I'm a friend. We talked last week about how we're sons and daughters, and we know that we can call God Almighty Father. But do you know what else Jesus said? He says, I don't call you servants because servants don't know what their master is doing. I call you friends. I'm pretty sure that the young ladies And the young men bowed over on their mats in Jerusalem weren't thinking about becoming friends with that God. But Jesus has called us his friend. Number five, the enemy can no longer condemn in me what God has already condemned and crucified on the cross. Number six, I love this. The church needs more of this. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. I need not compare myself against others to improve my standing with God. Do you know what? The truth is there's still a lot of treadmills in the Christian church because the enemy doesn't fold quickly. And then lastly, because of this fantastic standing that has come from God, I desire to be a carrier of grace and not a courier of guilt. In other words, Listen, I don't see my main ministry as giving anybody else a guilt trip. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna let Holy Spirit take, of, take care of doing whatever he needs to do with your heart. <laughs> 
And I'm not, I'm not gonna let go of the standard of truth. I'm not gonna let go of that. I'm not gonna water down the word of God. I'm just gonna try to become a carrier of grace and not someone who's on my treadmill trying to get the right pace and just dispensing guilt every which way I can to everybody else that's in my view. These are the truths of you and me because of the finished work of Jesus. It is finished and it is done. Religion has got to get off the microphone. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Father God, we thank you for the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, that we can walk this morning knowing that is not of our strength, not of of our deeds, not of our trying hard, not of our getting on the, the treadmill, trying to earn our way to some kind of place or platform, but God, that you have already done all the work. And for that, this morning, we say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for our righteousness, which is only found in you. God, I hope that compels us to live lives that are spent and spilled out for you and for your kingdom. It's because of my identity. It's because of my certainty and knowing that I am gonna be with you and Father God and Holy Spirit up in heaven and you've already got riches and rewards for me. Lord, I just love you and I wanna do what you have for me while I'm here on this planet. Not because I, I have some kind of task-oriented or, or, or driven mentality, but because I love you and I want to see the kingdom of God fall on this planet. Heaven on earth. Heaven come to earth. So Father God, thank you that we don't come and we don't leave this place to go and slave for a master, but you call us friend. You call us along on the journey. God, and you love us so much. You loved beloved sons and daughters walking around in love. I thank you for that. God, I pray for any of us this morning that may be caught up in the comparison trap, any of these voices that can get on the mic. Religion is so loud and it's so easy to fall into. It's so easy um, to even compare our own spirituality and our own walk with others when really, Lord, we just need to look at you. So help us when we get our eyes turned the wrong direction, when we start working because we feel like we have to do better, God, help us to just leave that on the gym floor. Help us to just leave that on the mat. Help us to just walk in your love. And if there's anybody this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to just to do that this morning. Maybe you're a believer and you've been kind of working in that, I've got to do better, I've got to do better, I've got to do better mentality. And you're just ready to just lay that down this morning. This message was for you. Or maybe you came this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I just want you to know, it's not about works. It's not about a to-do list. It's not about um, trying to become a better person. The best person in the world, the only perfect person in the world has already given up his life for you so that you could walk in righteousness. And so it's not your strength, but it's his. And he's given his life for you this morning. And if you haven't yet to make that decision, whether you're here or watching online, we wanna pray with you this morning. So with nobody looking around here in this room right now, just raise your hand and I just, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I wanna pray with you this morning. Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand up. 
All right. All right. Anybody else? All right. Let's pray this prayer together. You say this after me. Father God, I give you my life. All that I am is yours. I don't do this out of a mentality of work, but I give my life to you out of love this morning. All that I have is yours. I surrender it to you. Take my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for already doing the work. It is done. It is finished. Amen.